Welcome to Walking in Faith, a weekly podcast dedicated to examining the Bible to help lifelong seekers of the kingdom of God expand their faith and understanding by exploring God's Word. Now let's join Pastor Rob Currington as he shares this week's message. Take your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 10. We've made it to chapter 10 of Luke. Woohoo, it's only taken us 65 weeks to get there, but we're here. The harvest is plentiful. The harvest is plentiful. I want to take you a moment as you're turning. And I want to consider, just think of your last week, this week that just ended, this week that's just beginning, is what was the most important task that you had this week to accomplish? What was, what was the most important task that you had? Maybe, maybe it was, was there one day in which there was a, a task that needed to be done? Or maybe this last month, what, what series of things that you had to attend to was utmost importance? Or maybe the year. Uh, for many of us, we, those things, sometimes there's things that come on annually, semi-annually, or they're just things that just come up every day or every week that we, we just have to get these things done. What is it that takes up your energy? It takes up your time and your money. Where does your focus go? Is it work? Is it family? Is it other assignments that are in life? But here's the thing that I want to challenge you with this morning is that the advancement of the kingdom of God is of utmost importance. So let me say it this week. I know last week I kind of beat up on you a little bit or let scripture do that. We're not going to do that so much. But, but what I need you to understand is that there is nothing that you do in life, work, family, marriage, whatever, that is of utmost importance more so than the advancement of the kingdom of God. Now, I, I thank you for that. And I'll take the amens of the old me's. But the thing is, is I wonder if you and I really have that as our core value. Or is it we have it as a, just a core knowledge that we know that and we say amen to. But it, is it something that you're actually living out? Now, with that said, I I probably need to say this, is that your marriage is important. You need to put that up there. Your your family is important. Your work is important. Your relationships and all those things are important. But all of them find their place and their priority in the kingdom of God. And so here's going to be the challenge for us as we go into Luke chapter 10. How much of that is a priority for you? Now, if you're like me, well, priorities are, well, maybe not like me. Mine's a little bit different. I understand my situation is different. I I go to work and I study, right? So I'm doing biblical stuff or church stuff all the time. And let me tell you, that can still be uh, uh, become an idol, and something that's not always advancing the kingdom of God, but the kingdom of Rob or whomever I'm trying to please or, or balance at the time. Which led me off to a way straight. I don't even know what I was going to talk about now. Wow, that really threw me off. So it must not have been important. That must be the Holy Spirit just saying, go on, Rob. Maybe I'll find it back here in a moment again. But the, the advancement of the kingdom of God is of utmost importance. All other things come under the umbrella of doing that. So I want to challenge us today as we look at Luke chapter 10 to consider that in our own lives. 
In last week's passage, Jesus engaged in conversations, dialogues with three different people concerning follow him, become disciples of him. And we saw that there was, there was request for a delay or request that, hey, you don't truly know and understand what you are committing to do. And we come through that and we understand that to become a disciple of Christ, to follow Christ calls for an uncompromising commitment. And I hope you've, I, I tried to hit that this week, last week. It's an uncompromising, if you don't have that written down in your notes and memorized, you need to understand that is that a disciple of Christ calls for an uncompromising commitment to follow Christ, to advance the kingdom of God. Uncompromising. And so you and I need to do that. That means that you and I are going to have to abandon or surrender our personal comfort, our personal advancement, and our personal relationships in order to proclaim the kingdom of God. I want to encourage you, by the way, this is an editorial, this is on the side, is take and read Christian biographies. I have a few back there and a few others in my office. I just got done reading uh, the, the story of uh, William Tyndale. And by the way, if you are holding your Bible, you are holding the life work of a man who gave himself to give us the Bible in English even today, the biblical, the, 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 the Bible, the Tyndale Bible, uh, even every Bible today can, has almost 70 75% of his words and phrases. Still, things that you and I take for granted in the English language comes from Tyndale. If you were to say, who do we owe our English language to? Many people might say Shakespeare or something like that, but it's actually Tyndale who came up with many of the phrases that you and I use each and every day. But what you're holding in your hand is the work of a man who ran and hid for for decades from the English king and the English authorities. He sought to kill him for his work. And all he wanted to do is translate from the Greek and Hebrew, the original languages, those words into English so that the plowman, the plowboy, could read scripture, not just the priest. By the way, interesting note reading that, that the majority of the priest in of Europe of that day could not even read the Bible because they did not understand Latin especially just a regular parish priest. They were just people who had bought many times their positions. So what you and I hold there is the legacy of a man, by the way, that once he was caught, was in prison for several years, who then still tried to write the Old Testament translated, but then wound up being burned at a stake. And then they also put gunpowder around it so that when it reached the gunpowder, not only did it burn him to death, but it also blew him up. Those are the pages that you and I have today. There is a man who took of utmost importance the advancement of the kingdom of God. What have you done this week? What's on your to-do list for this upcoming week? So I say all that to say it is encouraging not only to read the Bible, obviously, but to read about those people who gave themselves, in which their utmost uncompromising commitment 
was to the advancement of the kingdom of God. So we have several. We have several for the kids' ages as well. So you may want those as well. But I have plenty of them. I encourage you. You can download a lot of them. Just even if you just want to do a Wikipedia of them, there are some great stories of men and women that are just encouraging and, and to be honest, just challenging for me. I was just challenged as I read it. It was a very short book, but just great things about great men and women who, who made an uncompromising commitment to the advancement of the gospel of kingdom, the kingdom of God who didn't just live for the ordinary. You and I, we live in a day and age in which we are excited. We are saturated with the ordinary. Now just take a look, look at all the shows. Have you ever watched a show and says, well, I'll never get that two hours back? Or you're watching a show and you're saying, man, I've been in this for a half hour. I guess I better spend another half hour. And then at the end, it's like, it wasn't worth it. You and I, that's what, what takes up our time is just, Menial tasks that mean nothing many times. And so I just want to challenge us to consider that this morning. Now, as we come to chapter 10, Jesus is sending out now 72 men to minister in the towns he is planning on visiting on his way to Jerusalem. They are given authority to proclaim the kingdom of God through the sharing of the good news of the gospel and in healing those with both physical and spiritual sicknesses and diseases. So with that, we've already read the the, the portion, but I just want to read the first two verses again to get our mind in set. Let's read that. After this, speaking when he was rejected or or when he he was talking about uh, the, the uncompromising commitment. After this... The Lord appointed 72 others and he sent them two by two ahead of him in every town and place where he was about to go. And he told them in this phrase, have this underlined in your book, in your Bible, highlighted on your tablet or your phone. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are what? Help me out. Thank you, are few. So ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. So Father, here is our marching orders this morning. You've called us, you've sent us. Father, I pray that you'd help us to do the work of looking at a book that's ancient, that's that's set away in a culture very different from our own. Lord, in a time that's very different. And Lord, help us to do the work of understanding whatever the spiritual truths, whatever the promises, whatever the challenges, the encouragements are. And then be able to interpret them correctly, to rightly divide them, and then to put them into our own lives. And Father, I pray that no one here will leave this room today or hearing my voice, watching me on video, that will come away not changed, challenged in some way. So may your spirit do its work and your your word not return void. We thank you for it in your name. Amen. These instructions are going to be very similar as you read those to what we saw in chapter 9 earlier when Jesus sent out the 12 disciples in chapters 9 verses 1 through 6. This time though, he's sending out 36 teams consisting of two men each and this group is going to be able to cover a larger territory and be more efficient and quicker than just the 12. At this time there's 72 men who said, we are willing to live an uncompromising commitment of life to you. Boy, what, how would that change OVBC if we just had two of you, four of you, six of you, a group of us? What, what a challenge and encouragement that would be. 
But here we see this group is going to be able to cover a large territory. And after emphasizing that to be his disciple requires an uncompromising commitment, it's now to, to challenge the men and test their mettle and see if it's very true and that their, their commitment is, is, is honest. So he, he counts them up. It says, it's now it's time for you to count the cost. And they have gladly decided to follow him. And he's sending out these disciples who have denied themselves, taken up their cross and followed him. He's not sending just a bunch of people who've been following him haphazardly. He's not sending out just a group of people who are just, well, you know, there's this Jesus guy. He's pretty cool. No, he's sending them out to prepare his way for him. These are committed followers. They're going to serve as missionaries to prepare for the upcoming arrival of Jesus as he journeys to Jerusalem. It's amazing. They're going to be telling him about who Jesus is. Hey, there's someone that's coming. You want to make sure that you're here at this place at this time. Because I tell you, someone is coming who's going to do something miraculous. You want to know what he does? Well, let me show you just a little bit what he does. Show, give me somebody who's sick. Is, it, is there somebody here who's got demon possession? Someone greater is coming than I. They're, they're John the Baptist, right? They're the ones who come and prepare the way of the Lord in a different way. Like the previous assignment, the emphasis is on the urgency of the trip, of the task. With a single-minded and focused task ahead. Be on task. This is kind of like what we talked about last week. Remember the plow? It says anyone who looks back while plowing is not fit for it. We talked about these guys. They're not looking back. They're going ahead. They're preparing the way. Now Luke writes that Jesus gives them four simple uh, or not solutions, but simple uh, instructions. Number one, travel light and trust God to provide all that you need. Travel light, trust God. You don't need to take anything. Don't even take an extra pa- uh, 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 group uh, pair of sandals. Don't, don't bring a lot of money. You don't need that. Just, just go. God, I'll provide what you need as you go. Number two, they're accept hospitality and not look for better arrangements. Just take what's there for you. Number three, expect acceptance and then offer peace to that house. In other words, there are going to be people that are going to hear your message, love it, and they're going to invite you in. And when they do that, offer them peace. Offer them that. We're going to look about what that is. But number four, they're also to expect rejection and then pronounce judgment on those who reject their message and the ministry of Jesus Christ. So Jesus instructs them that they have no need to bring anything with them. They were travel light with a focus on mobility and the ease of travel. It seems that the mission was to be considered urgent as Jesus tells them, go. It seems that Jesus intended that disciples' needs will be covered by the hospitality as they are not to spend time raising money and working as they go. Their mission was of utmost importance. So just go. They were to trust God to provide through the charitable giving of other people. It would be those that accepted their message and ministry that God would provide food, protection, and shelter for those men. Now this emphasis, I want to say again, this emphasis on relying on hospitality, (coughs) excuse me, and we've been talking about hospitality for the last three or four years, four or five years, because I believe that's so important. I believe that 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 is something that you and I should be um, doing. That's what we do on small groups. That's what we should be doing during the week is we should be hospitable to each other. 
But this relying on hospitality mirrors the command of the apostles to the saints and the churches as you read the letters of the apostles. Paul will instruct the believers of Rome to contribute to the needs of the saints and to seek to show hospitality to one another. The writer of Hebrew warns the Christians not to neglect to show hospitality to strangers. He says, because some of them sometimes may be angels. Peter commands the members of the churches to show hospitality and to do it with now grumbling and complaining about. One way you and I receive the gospel with joy is to demonstrate hospitality to those who share it. Theologian Walter uh, uh, Leefield writes and notes that servants of Christ should go forth, not seeking support from unbelievers, but trusting God completely to supply through his people. And you know what? Just on, again on a side note, I have a lot of side notes on this one. This, this should be our attitude and our response to our missionaries. Get to know our missionaries. I put their letters out on the back. I know many times we walk straight through that door, but I encourage you, we have a lot of material. That, uh, take a letter and take it home with you. Just bring it back the next day and just read about our missionaries. Look at, at what they need. And you and I need to have that type of, of attitude about those who are sharing the gospel. Jesus is essentially telling these disciples to accept whatever hospitality they receive, not to seek out better accommodations. In other words, if they're received with gladness by home, enjoy it. Don't look for ways of of, of trying to approve it or to find better housing, food, or company. In other words, don't worry about your physical needs. I'll provide. Your utmost responsibility is the kingdom of God. Unfortunately, today, too many people use ministry as a way to get more, never content in what they have. The apostle Paul was no stranger to suffering. He tells the church of Philippi, I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to to abound. And in every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger and abundance and need. One of the things that stops us from being uncompromising, committed to the advancement of the kingdom of God is our own comfort, is the pursuit of our own comfort. Not that you as, as a father or as a, as, a, as, a, as a spouse, as a wife, should not be providing for your family. But in that itself is one way in which you can provide for your family. But what you and I are to be is all of those things are coming as we are advancing the kingdom of God. He tells us that in Matthew 6. Seek ye first what? Kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then all these things, what was that? Food, clothing, shelter will be added to you, will be given to you. The problem is, is that you and I many times are not satisfied with what God has given us. So we strive for more, for better. Now, should you never look for a better job, more opportunity? Of course. That's that's not what we're saying here. But even in that, we should look to do so so that we can advance the kingdom of God. Here's Here's a radical thought. This is biblical. I may not say it correctly, but this comes from a biblical principle is any desire to make more money should so that I can advance the kingdom of God, not my own kingdom. 
I make money so that I could give it. That's why God gives us money. So that we can give it. And that's how our thought should process should be. And we usually do. But the object of our giving typically gets to be what? Ourselves. And our passions. The things that we desire. Jesus then warns them of the danger they will face as Jesus tells them, I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. Not a great thought. This describes the hostility they're going to face as they proclaim the kingdom of God. Not everyone is going to accept the good news. For many, it will be controversial and condemning. The author of Hebrews writes in Hebrews chapter 4, you see this. This is a wonderful, wonderful verse. He says, the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. No creature is hidden from its sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Now this is a great and wonderful verse that you and I should memorize and have in our heart. However, even you and I who love Christ can say, man, that verse is difficult. Because it doesn't matter what type of operetta mask you wear to church today with a smiley face or happiness, those things like that, a costume masquerade ball. The Bible cuts right to the heart. He truly knows what you're thinking and you're feeling. He knows what's behind that amen or the oh me. You see, and people are not going to want, Christians many times do not want counsel from the word of God. Why? Because it exposes the heart. In John chapter 3, if you want to turn there very quickly, because we're going to be there in a little bit. In John chapter 3, verse 18, maybe you can catch up if you're quick enough. Jesus says, whoever believes in him, speaking of Jesus, is not condemned. But whoever does not believe is condemned already. Because he has not believed in the name of the one and only Son of God. Jesus is exclusive. Forget Ophrah, who says, there are many ways to God. There are not. She is foolish and fooled he goes on to say and this is the judgment in John chapter 3 the light has come into the world and the people loved the darkness rather than the light why because their works are evil for everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light why lest his works be what? Exposed. Not everyone will accept with gladness the word of God. There are people here today that will not accept the word of God with gladness. Because the word of God will not leave you in the same state that you came. It will demand that you change the Holy Spirit come convict and you either come and respond or you will reject it there is no setting on the fence there's an uncompromising commitment you hear that word over and over I want to put I want to put it in your head in your mind 
It's the advancement of the kingdom of God says that, that you will be exposing and people will not like that. You will struggle with that. Jesus also gives them a stark warning that the gospel will not always be accepted. Just as Jesus was rejected, so will the disciples. Their lack of receiving the message nor the messenger is a testimony against them. Just as those that rejected the prophets in the Old Testament, remember those that were, uh, that was, were killed in, uh, in, in, the, in the Old Testament, and those that rejected Jesus' message, those that reject the gospel through the ministry of the disciples, those who reject the ministry through, uh, through the followers of Christ, will stand in judgment and have to give an account to God. They are called to demonstrate this judgment through the symbolic act of shaking off the dust, the sand from their feet. This was an, a symbolic act that many Jews would do once they were traveling through a Gentile region. Remember we talked about that. The Jews were very, uh, very, very stuck up in that way. They, they were prejudiced and biased. And walking from one place, as soon as they stepped into Jewish territory, they would just kind of shake their dust as a symbolic act of saying, I'm now in a promised land. I'm in a blessed place. This is a symbolic act. It's not telling us to do so but regularly, but it's just telling us this is an act that you're doing. This is showing that God's judgment is on them. However, he also promises that this rejection cannot and will not prevent the kingdom of God from advancing one heart at a time. The gates of hell cannot prevail against the kingdom of God, his church. It will advance, and it advances not from land to land, as in the olden days, as, as through you know, Catholicism or through the Pope or through kings that were conquering land or even Muslims in the day. But it's growing as one person responds positively to the word of Christ, one heart at a time. Now, as you and I now come to understand Jesus' instructions, we see it as there's, there's an urgency. There's a vulnerability that's attached to it. It's going to be sometimes difficult. Why he, hence why he says so many times, be strong, be courageous. But also we see the receptivity of the message of King God. There will be those who accept it. There will be those who reject it. For those of us who are disciples of Christ, we need to understand those three things as we're about the business of advancing the kingdom of God. These instructions and methods now have been adopted by churches, missionary associations, and others throughout, sending people two by two, sending them through the world and telling them to do such things. We need to proclaim the good news that Jesus has come to reconcile God and man through the substitutionary sacrificial atonement of Christ. Now there's much that you and I can learn and adopt from this passage. Again, it's, it's a kind of a repeat of what we've seen in chapter 9 with a little bit new information, a little different group of people. But there are some things that you and I can learn as you and I continue in the mission of spreading the word of God and the good news of the kingdom of God today. We are still called to do that kingdom work. First, we see now then then that Jesus is preparing men and women to follow him. As he was preparing those men to follow and to be disciples, he is doing that today. In Matthew 28 and Acts 1, you and I are called to be senders and goers, to be those who supply the, the goods, the monies, and those who go. We're to be ready to teach all that Christ has taught in his word, no matter where you are at. 
We are called and prepared through the work of the Holy Spirit to be witnesses of how the Father has drawn us to himself in order to be disciples of Christ. He's been preparing us from the beginning, from the foundation of the world. He has given us his word that that all things that pertain to life and godliness are found in it. And you and I are to do that work. Now we do it, obviously, as we maybe go to door to door and we're welcoming people or inviting people to church. You and I do that as we're doing that in our marriage and we're talking and discussing. We do it with devotions with our kids. Fathers, if you're not doing that, and I speak primarily to fathers, then begin doing that today. As you are making disciples of your children, they need Christ themselves. That's your first kingdom of God uh, 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 missionary um, field. We do it as we counsel people at work and family members. We do it as we go about in our lives with joy. As we demonstrate our hope in a world that seems hopeless. They want, why, why, are you, why are you joyful? Why, why are you hopeful? Didn't, didn't your, your mother just die? Your father just die? D- didn't you just get bad news about your child? How do you have hope? It doesn't matter where you are. We work. Bowling on the golf field. Doesn't matter. You can share the kingdom of God with someone. Many times at their deepest needs. Hence why the Bible says, you know, the most important time in life is not the birth of a child, but the death of a friend and a loved one. Because it's then when their minds are on things eternal. And so you and I have been prepared to do that in go. Now, when you and I think of Matthew 28, we say, we think go. So we think that's evangelism. But really what that's saying there in Matthew 28, where all authority is given to me, go you therefore in all the world. It really means in your going, make disciples. So at your workplace, you are to be making disciples. I don't care what the policies and procedures of your workplace are. You are to make disciples. You need to be, uh, you need to be winsome. And you need to be uh, 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 innocent as doves and wise as serpents in doing so. But every place that you go is an opportunity to make disciples. Secondly, he prepared us to proclaim. By the way, these are all going to be P's. So listen for those. So first is the preparation. Second is we're to proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God. In Romans 10, the Apostle Paul quotes from Isaiah when he says, for everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Do you believe that? Let me ask you again, because I do want to hear this, not rhetorical. Do you believe that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved? Do you believe that? All right, then, then why are we not sharing it? When was the last time you shared with someone who was not safe? That they need to call upon the name of the Lord. How then will they call on him in whom they've not believed? How are they to believe in him who've never heard? And how are they here without someone preaching or teaching or sharing? And how are they to preach unless they are sent as it is written? How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Here's a news note. Every Christian is a proclaimer, is a herald. You and I have the same message as those 72 men back then. Jesus is coming. Do you realize that? Do you live your life as Titus 3 or 2, 11 through 13 is real? 
that we're looking for that blessed hope and glorious appearing? Are we like the disciples who are looking up and the angel says, why do you look up? One day he's going to return in like manner. And when he comes, it will not be for salvation, but to judge the living and the dead. To capture those who are eagerly waiting for him. Let me ask, would a good description of you be one, one who is eagerly looking for Christ's return? But there's a lot there. You've heard me speak of my own testimony on that own thought. But we're to proclaim Jesus is coming. And let me tell you, that means something. Thirdly, we need to understand that God's hand in all that we do in the most important work. He's called us to pray. What did he say? Pray for the harvest is plentiful, but the labors are few. For you and I, we need to pray. Even Paul, while he was in prison, he was captive, right? There were people that were chained up with him. And he says this, continue steadfastly in prayer for me. Be watchful in it with thanksgiving. In other words, be thankful that you get to pray. He says at the same time, pray for us. That God may open a door for what? So that I can escape? So that I can get out? No, he says that a door may open for the word to declare the mystery of Christ. He had a captive audience. This man was winning jailers. He was winning prisoners. Do you ever pray for an opportunity? You may say, well, I don't have any opportunity. All my friends are Christians. Then get some, get some, you need some new friends. You need to be involved in some activity that puts you out with those who aren't Christians. But you know what? Why are you taking, pray to them, pray for them too. Evangelize the Christian. Let's make sure they're evangelized. Make sure they're living out the gospel. We need to join uh, Paul in that same request, praying that God gives us opportunities to share the gospel with boldness and grace that God may give our hearers repentance and faith as the Holy Spirit moves. Fourthly, let's go on. Christ says he's protect his children. He's going to protect his children. He tells us that God, if the world hates you, let you know that the world hated me first. He also says that he is the good shepherd and he protects his sheep. Yes, he knows he's sending us out like lambs to the to, to wolves. And he understands that the world is hostile. He understands that the William Tyndales of, their, uh, 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 William Tyndales of the world are going to be killed. The John Calvins, the Martin Luthers will be persecuted. Those who proclaim Christ will lose their life. They will have to face ridicule and rejection. God says that I will protect and provide for you. And so you and I just need to be strong and courageous, willing to accept the advancement of Christ against the advice of any or the advance of anything in our life. Unfortunately, there are too many Christians that are unwilling to surrender their rights at all. We're looking forward to being offended. We want all that comes to us. We have more of a worldly mind than we have of a heavenly mind. The Bible tells us that Jesus says, I'll lie down my life for my sheep. Trust me. I will protect. I will provide. Fifthly, that first, that next one is providence. Providence. 
you and I cannot be discouraged in our task. Here's something I learned. You are not invented enough. You are not creative enough. You are not intelligent enough to make someone else a Christian. That's the Holy Spirit's work. Thank you. The Bible tells us in John chapter 6, verse 44, you see it here on the monitor. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them. I will raise them up on the last day. I like what Pastor John MacArthur has said many times. He says, I focus on the depth of my ministry. In other words, I work at building the discipleship in my church, building their knowledge and getting them to desire the things, or not to desire, but but to love the things of God. He says, I'll trust God for the width of my church. In other words, our, our jobs are to work at building our people deep, And leave it up to God to grow how big our church will be. Scripture tells us that it's God who causes all things to grow. It is God who adds to the church. You and I are just called to be faithful stewards of our time and our talents and our treasure. So let's trust God for the receptivity of his word. For the reception. Let's work on being faithful. Lastly, we come to profit and punishment. There's two of them there. There's profit and punishment. God has promised that those who accept his great gift will be rewarded with peace. In John chapter 6, the expository commentary notes that peace is a typical greeting in the Middle East. (coughs) The peace here, however, is not merely a human greeting, but the messengers represents Jesus and brings God's peace. This is speaking of the salvation and its many blessings. As the Apostle Paul writes in Romans 5.1, you see it here in the monitor real quickly. Since we have been justified through faith, we have what? Peace with God. This is the peace that the world needs. There will be nothing else that will bring peace between ethnic diversity and, and problems through economic or social issues. None of those things will bring peace but the word of God. Thank you. For that is what the word tells us. In John chapter 6, verse 35, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall not thirst. He goes on to say, and this is the will of him, that he should lose nothing of all that has been given to him, but he shall raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. This is a great gift. There is a profit for having an uncompromising commitment to abandon it all, to surrender it all so that we may advance the kingdom of God. God says there is great profit. We saw this in Luke. What does it profit a man? To gain the whole world, but lose his own soul. I pray that there's none that hears my voice today that will lose their soul. Please, my friend, come to Christ See that he is your only hope. That he reconciles you back to God. Satisfying the wrath of God's punishment. However, those that reject the words that I just spoke, the words of the gospel, 
the proclamation that Christ is returning, is coming, will face the wrath of God for eternity. In our passage today, Jesus warns that I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. We're going to speak more on this next week. But you think of Sodom and Gomorrah. That is an illustration even today in our culture of something terrible happening, of judgment and punishment, of retribution. Is it not? Everyone knows Sodom and Gomorrah. Those who rejected, he says, will be worse off than Sodom and Gomorrah. The city of Sodom stands as a stark realization, an illustration of the consequences of rejecting God. And let me tell you, there are some of your family, some of your friends, some of your loved ones, those that you care about, your neighbors, your co-workers, who are under the wrath of God. And will spend eternity hell but God has a great word of peace to them the only way that word of peace will come to them may be through you that is his plan he's been preparing you for that day in Revelation chapter 20 11 we read of John's vision of the end of days John Revelation chapter 20 the last book of the Bible He says, then I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it from his presence, the earth and sky fled away. No place was found for them. He writes, I saw the dead, the great and small standing before the throne and the books were open. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up their dead who, was in it, who were in them. And they were judged, each one according to what they had done. Verse 14, then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. This is a sobering vision. This should cause us to shudder at the thought of our loved ones and friends that have not either heard the gospel or have rejected it. It should compel us to share the good news with boldness, with conviction, and with compassion. As Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 2 here on the monitor, this is a verse you've heard me say many times, for you and I are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one were a fragrance from death to death, one in which they reject, but to another were a fragrance of life to life. It's, it's one that, that draws them in. Who is sufficient for these things? For we are not like so many peddlers of God's word, but as men of sincerity, as commission of God, in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. Oh, may we be men and women of sincerity, recognizing that you are a cologne, you are a perfume, so to speak, one that's going to repel some and some that's going to draw others in. And either way, he's called us to speak of Christ in our goings out. Now this leads us to the part of the message where you and I must pause, consider, pray and respond what Jesus is teaching us through this message. I'm not giving you just for information. I'm not just trying to just give some things so you can understand it. 
You know, the, the, here's what we have. But it's about life change. It's about transformation. It's about you and I becoming disciples of Christ that are uncompromising, committed to the advancement of the kingdom of God. So with that, I'm going to give you some more peace. We're going to go through these a little bit quicker. You and I must realize that disciples of Christ, you and I have a purpose. We are called to be witnesses of Christ to the world, ambassadors of God. Scripture informs us we're ambassadors of Christ. God is making his appeal through us, not through writing in the sky, not through healings and not through miracles, though those things can happen, but it's through us sharing it. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. That is your words that you say, hey, listen, I need to tell you about God. And I need to ask you, would you be reconciled with God? Please, would you be reconciled with God? How do you do that? He sent his son to die on our behalf. Again, I've shared before, I think the gospel primer does it well. Start with the glory of God and who God is. Don't start with heaven. Heaven is something that's in the future. People don't even think about heaven. They need to think about God and the glory of God and why we were created, who we were created for. We also must realize that as disciples of Christ, we have a pronouncement. pronouncement. That pronouncement is simply that Jesus Christ has come to save sinners. You and I are heralds of the good news that Jesus has come to reconcile us back to God. Christ is coming. Christ is coming. Prepare. Be sober. Be aware. Why? Christ is coming. Be ready. Repent and believe. For Christ is coming. And then as disciples of Christ, we must realize you and I have a passion I think the reason why we do not have that commitment to the, event, to the, to the kingdom of God, but a, a commitment to others, because our, our passions are disordered. They're, they're sinful. We, our passion is to, to get what we can get, to satisfy our own lust, our own flesh. But like Jesus, you and I need to look at our loved ones, our friends, our coworkers, our neighbors with compassion, that they're harassed and they're helpless They're like sheep without a shepherd. They're all running, trying to find their needs to be met. But finding it all in the wrong places. The Apostle Paul describes his passion to preach in 1 Corinthians when he says, If I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting. It is not about myself. He says, Necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. Is that your passion? Do you recognize the necessity that you are to pronounce the kingdom of God? And then we must realize, lastly, purpose, pronouncement, passion. We must realize that as disciples of Christ, you and I have a promise. It's a promise to keep us going. It's the hope that gets us up to face the rejection, the hostility, the ridicule. And this promise is that the Father will provide, protect, and empower us in our endeavors. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, we see this on the monitor. Hold on to this, Christian. 
Get this into the forefront of your mind. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. From the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. Do you see that? You were once dead. You deserved nothing. But now he has given you an inheritance that is imperishable. It is undefiled and it is unfading. And it is kept in heaven for you. It cannot be taken away. Who by God's power, you and I are being guarded through faith. Our trust in Christ for salvation ready to be revealed in that last days. Let's just be faithful. Endure. Be an overcomer. For Christ has won the victory. You and I have a promise. And you and I need to realize that that promise enables us to advance the kingdom of God, trusting him that he will reward those who are faithful. So my last words is let us gladly accept our assignment and our authority from Christ and begin to harvest the fields that are plentiful. For you too have been sent out to proclaim the favor of the Lord. Would you do so? And let's hold on to this truth. 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Amen? There we head bowed and every eye closed. The worship teams come up. I ask Landon as well. Just take a moment to pause and consider what Jesus through the Holy Spirit is teaching us about Luke and the sending out of the disciples. You and I have the same calling. We've been given the same task to advance the kingdom of God. Would you pray and ask what God would call you to do and how to do that to develop the passion, to learn the pronouncement, to have the boldness and to hold on to the promise. Respond to his work today, if you would, please. We praise in Christ's name. Amen. We hope you have enjoyed this week's message. We encourage you to share it with others. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at info at orangevilla.org. Be sure and join us for next week's message by subscribing to this podcast. To learn more about our ministry, submit prayer requests, or to find ways you can help hear the gospel, visit us online at orangevilla.org. Till next time, we hope the grace and peace of God's love be ever present in your life.